police and fire have worked well together for the most part, particularly in our area, but we never really trained together. And that lack of training can create a, a real problem when an emergency such as an active shooter occurs within your jurisdiction. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Federal Resources Studio, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again on another edition of Code 3. This is a show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. With active shooter situations on the rise, there's been more concern about how schools and public service agencies should deal with them. Communities around the country have started thinking proactively about what they can do to prevent shootings and how they'll respond if one happens in one of their schools. My guest today is part of that planning process, and he has some insights on what might be considered for your community's planning. Alan Burkowski has been the fire chief in Winnetka, Illinois, since 2011. A 35-year veteran of the fire service, he started his career as a paramedic with the Chicago Fire Department, Then he went on to join the Evanston Fire Department in 1981 as a firefighter paramedic and worked his way up to chief of the department in 2004. He's been an instructor for the Illinois Tactical Officers Association in the Rescue Task Force curriculum. And Alan Burkowski joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Hi, Scott. It's uh, an honor to be here. and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thanks. It's good to have you here. So why has it become important for fire departments to be involved in the planning for possible school shootings? About three years ago, I was approached by the Illinois Tactical Officers Association, which is a a police training organization in Illinois, with the concept of teaching rescue task force to our Mavis division, which is uh, predominantly the North suburban departments in Chicago. And as we started talking about this, I realized a couple things. Police and fire have worked well together for the most part, particularly in our area, but we never really trained together. And that lack of training can create a a real problem when an emergency such as an active shooter occurs within your jurisdiction. So as we started talking about Rescue Task Force, one of the things we decided to do was we had to get buy-in from the bosses, being the police chiefs and fire chiefs. So we actually created a command and control class for an active shooter. And as a result of that, we started to mesh fire and police operations. And the reason that's important is anytime you have a situation like this, you have to know ahead of time what the plan is. You can't wait for that situation to occur because things don't go well. So by having a plan well ahead of time and knowing the expectation of 
the police and the fire and what actions they're going to take. Hopefully we can take care of business in a much more efficient manner. What sort of things did your departments discover about each other that you might not have realized before the training? Well, probably one of the the, uh, interesting aspects of the training is when we started meeting together, the first thing we realized is, for the most part, this is the first time police and fire have been in the same room training together in many cases. And as we started to do more and more of this, they became much more and more comfortable. The other thing, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. For example, when fire arrives at a scene of a police incident where there could be some violence, we typically stage, correct? Right. So the problem is when we stage and you ask a police officer, hey, what does fire departments do when they stage? Their immediate response is usually nothing. Check their phones. They hang around. And the problem with that is, and, and we kind of saw that at, you know, like the Century Theater uh, shooting where they weren't really sure what fire and police were doing on the onset. And we have to change the perception of how police view us in staging. And part of that is we have to become value added. And what I mean by that, Scott, is that when we stage and the cops are going in there and doing their thing and taking down that bad guy, they have to know we're preparing to go to the next phase once they take that bad guy down. In other words, we're looking for alternate accesses. We're uh, checking our um, pre-plans to see if they'd be helpful. We're setting up a command post. It may not be the best location, but if the cops know that we're ready to go to business as soon as they get out of there and they come to our command post and we can start coordinating our operations, they're already thinking this is good instead of fire staging, I don't know where they are, so we've come outside, out of mind. And, and that was really a, a critical takeaway at the onset. Have your folks discussed at all the idea of firefighters going into the warm zone or even the hot zone with police officers wearing tactical gear? Yes. As a matter of fact, when we started this process three years ago, so we have two classes that we, we've taught in May Division Three. One is the command and control for the bosses, the other one is Rescue Task Force Train the Trainer, where we train firefighters to go in with police officers. And what's really interesting is we thought there'd be a lot of pushback, particularly from the firefighters saying, that's not our job. And what we found is they really embrace it. As long as they receive the proper training and the proper gear and they understand the process, they, they're a lot more comfortable. And, and I got to tell you, Scott, when we start going in with our cops as, as Rescue Task Force, and we started to learn their moves and how they move down the hallways and their focus. And once we go in there as a rescue task force, typically the bad guy is either barricaded or down already, and they're just continuing their search. It goes from a, obviously a hot zone to a warm zone. You're pretty well protected with those police officers going down that hallway. And the more training we did, the more comfortable the firefighters felt with the rescue task force concept. I'll be back with more right after this. Federal Resources is a mission-critical solutions provider with only one goal, to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. 
Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. Now, I know that your department and police held a school safety summit in August 2018. What sort of topics did you address? So, we held a a school safety summit, and let me explain what the school safety summit is. All police and fire departments uh, typically meet with their schools and uh, meet at uh, review emergency operation plans, talk about drills, uh, witness drills. Back in um, 20. I think it was 2012 or 2013, we decided to hold our first school safety summit. And what we wanted to do is bring all the school administrators together and have a discussion with them as a group so everyone can hear what the other schools are doing. And it went very well in 2012. And in 2018, we were making some changes, some some terminology. So we decided to hold the school safety summit again. And instead of just focusing on action, we wanted to take a different spin on school safety. So what we decided to do is we created this uh, logo that deals with um, uh, prevention, partnership, planning, and protection. It takes all facets of school safety into account. And we'll put that logo on our website. So, you know, when you look at the different facets, uh, the prevention really kind of, as we talk to our school officials, basically what we were talking about is, focusing and addressing some of the mental health issues within the schools, making sure they have the necessary resources, uh, making sure they have a safe haven for the students in case they have information that they want to share. If you look at some of the FBI reports that deal with leakage, and leakage is kind of advanced warning of bad behavior, there's a significant leakage, particularly in the junior high and high school age, where someone heard something or said something that if it was reported, it could make a difference. So having a safe haven to share that information is really important. The second piece deals with protection. And, and you know, that's the stuff that the, the items that we typically talk to schools about, um, protecting their exits, uh, video feeds, um, hardening of access points, store locks, shattered resistant film on areas that don't have solid walls. And part of our discussion with them, though, also talked about training staff not to circumvent these important features. For example, propping the door open during gym, having a student, uh, permitting a student to open the door for a recognized adult. Those are a type of behaviors that can lead to uh, failures in your protection. And it's really kind of interesting. There's some really new technology coming out dealing with facial software recognition, um, and all sorts of concepts to protect the students and the staff inside of school. One thing I did want to point out in, in that whole discussion, and I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but particularly in schools, we had to have a discussion with the teachers on how important it is, or the, the staff members, to make sure your teachers know they're authorized to call 911. And the reason for that is many times in factories or schools, there's a thought that I need to contact an administrator before I call the police or fire department. So part of their planning now is the first page in most of their emergency operations plan says, you are authorized to call 911. Kind of interesting, huh? That is a surprise, and it could be deadly if they took too long because they were waiting for someone to respond to their request to call. Absolutely. And the, the other thing that's really important to point out on that is 911, people are confused many times, particularly 
in the work environment, if you can just call, dial or press 911, or you have to do 8911 or 9111. And when you ask a group of teachers which works, you know, how they call 911, there's usually some confusion. So we'd like to clear that up right at the onset of many of these discussions. You know, I would have thought that you'd focus on responding to the event, but you instead looked at preventing one and what to do when one is starting up. Isn't that sort of law enforcement's territory? Again, because of this training we've been doing, particularly at Mavis Division Three in Illinois, most of the time when we're dealing with schools, we have both police and fire responding or responding, having those discussions with the schools as to safety and security. So fire has been very much folded into the process and is very much part of that partnership. So how confident are you now that you'll be able to respond in a unified way? And at the same time, let me ask this, how often do you train together to ensure that you do have that harmony? In my department, in my municipality, fire and police typically train twice a year. We usually use one of the school buildings to have both classroom discussion and hands-on discussion. In Mavis Division Three. There are 17 departments, and we meet twice a year to do a joint training. Believe it or not, all 17 departments come together. And last year, we did a, a rescue task force, and then this year, we did a tabletop. So we are constantly talking about this and training on it. I think it's definitely – so, you know, here, here's a, an interesting uh, outcome from this training. Police and fire are now understanding how important that joint unified command process is. And when I have a fire now, a police officer immediately comes to the command and participates in the command decision process, even for a structure fire. So this is head benefits otherwise, not just related to shooting events. Absolutely. So if you think about, let's take a train derailment. In the past, again, police and fire work well together, but, you know, police are handling the perimeters, they're handling, you know, pedestrians and, and those type of things in the crime scene, and we're handling the patients. Now we're doing it together where we're having a coordinated response. And it's, I think you could take this type of rescue task force command control training and apply it to any uh, crisis or incident, and I think you'll have a better outcome. In your experience, is this kind of cooperation unusual? It's more and more common. I, I, I will tell you, I know departments are struggling. Uh, I think when you have a municipality who has their own police and fire department, it's a little more seamless. But when you start dealing with sheriff's departments and state organizations, it's a little more complicated to get them into the fold. And unfortunately, we saw a little bit of that at the Parkland, you know, with the sheriff's department where there was, you, you felt like there wasn't that coordination there. All right, Alan Burkowski, thanks for talking with me today on Code 3. Thank you, Scott. And we put some more information about preparing for an active shooter event on our website at code3podcast.com slash shooter. Check it out. Now here's your trivia question. What is the process of chemical decomposition of organic substances by heating called? Pretty easy, right? I'll have the answer right after this. 
Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here's the trivia answer. The process of chemical decomposition of organic substances by heating is called pyrolysis. You probably knew that. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Got comments about the show? Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Oren. Until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.